0: Goliad presents the Talking Bollocks Podcast. Go out, go out, go out. For? Put your back in it,
1: just a
2: little more, you
0: it in your body, your Work it long. when you finish episode 59 the Talking Bollocks podcast, brought to you by Go Loud, the home of Irish podcast. It's me, Terry Flower. It's me, C.O.B. And this week we're joined by... Darren Lawler. Darren, how are you, pal? I'm great, buddy. How are you? All good, all yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, for this is a flower. We've big news for you there. yeah? Calvin, take it away. <laughs>
1: Absolutely, grand. Hand one over to me. So you've asked, and we have delivered. We are doing a live show Friday, the 4th of March, Liberty Hall... Tickets go on sale on the 7th of February, Monday the 7th of February, but the pre-sale link is available now. Sign up to the pre-sale link to increase your chances of getting tickets, but you cannot guarantee that you will get a ticket for, uh, from pre-sale. Yeah? my
0: nerves are gone.
1: Right. <laughs> so it's, our, it's going to be our first live show. Uh, we're looking forward to seeing everybody there. We have a few tricks up our sleeve. We might bring a guest. We might not. We or might. We might bring a few. Loving we'll see that. what happens. We'll see. We <laughs> do you know what? We keep the cards close to there, yeah. We don't say too much, but well, you just have to be there and see what happens. You know what I mean? We're liable to bleeding to do something stupid, so you'll yeah. have to come and see us, especially for the fourth one, oh, no. because whatever mistake we make in the fourth one, we're not going to do in the second one.
0: Well, I hope so. But hopefully, no mistakes. Just watch your you get me? Yeah. My nerves still be gone. My nerves are gone. Nail Dad yeah. Yeah, <sighs> you'll be great.
2: Stop it. <laughs> Good well, oh, friends, say them Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
2: Hopefully, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> Imagine
0: it was uh, everyone just launching things out of his mouth. Get <laughs> off the stage! He's doing adored. Gigs doing yeah. Them gigs, yeah. yeah, he's <laughs> adored. Right, we'll jump into the zingers. Last yeah. week, yeah, Dad, have you ever listened to an episode of this?
2: I have listened to part of Arlo Handlin and
0: Jim Sheridan. Yeah, the boys, hmm. the lads. So we do a thing called zingers. Yeah, yeah. There's like an either or, a would you rather, mm-hmm. stupid things. We're at a wit's end with them, yeah? So, mm-hmm. the one from last week, the results. How, what way do you put your cutlery in the dishwasher? Face down, face up.
2: Oh, jeez, I just throw it in. Yeah. It's working, the dishwasher's not working,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah Calvin, you want the same.
1: I just told them in, but a lot of people were messaging us saying you should put them face down because uh, if you open it and someone could fall on it. What? Who the fuck decides? Do you know what? The dishwasher's open there. I'm going to start doing 100 million hurdles open in the kitchen. Like, <laughs> who's running around the kitchen when the dishwasher is open? Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah,
0: but you can just fall, no?
1: Oh, come on. I think people are being too over-cautious. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Put them face down in case someone falls on them. What? <laughs> but uh, apparently there's an episode of EastEnders where someone fell her husband pushed on she fell on a knife that was in the dishwasher sticking up or something like that so I, I don't know look it makes sense and all but like he's a like,
0: what are going to be doing you might as well walk around like your guy for a helmet on if you're going to be that careful <laughs> you know what I mean anyways the results 53% do them facing up and yeah, so 47% put them in facing down nearly half down. and half yeah. yeah. we we'll
1: just throw them in yeah. and people are saying that they sort them out and all spoons on one knife and the other just, everything get in there once it's all in there it's clean isn't it
0: valid point Right, the second thing In the chipper Do you say the plural version? So if you are saying Garlic and cheese chips Would you say garlic and cheese chip Or chips?
2: Or oh, chips Definitely, yeah mm. Yeah, yeah, I'd, yeah.
0: Say, I'd say a garlic and cheese chip
2: Yeah Or a fish and chip Yes, it's weird No, I'd say chips Yeah, because you expect the one chip The one chip They'll yeah. just give you the one chip yeah, yeah. Oh, it's not like in England. They take fifty pounds. They say no, fifty pounds. It better. You it. feel yeah. like you're
1: loaded, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Someone messaged us and said that uh, he was in Australia with his missus, and she said uh, they were ordering off a menu, and he said, "Oh yeah, and can I get a chicken nugget as well?" And he came out and gave her one chicken nugget because <laughs> what she meant was a portion of chicken nuggets, like a chicken nugget, and they came out and gave her one chicken nugget.
0: He's a legend
1: for that. Well, yeah. Well, that's what you're asked for, isn't it? A it's like that nugget. one. Um, it, when it, when I'm on walk. And you're reading like a requirements doc, right? It has to be like people interpret things differently. So there's an old one when we were in there, when we were getting trained in, an example to use is a mother sent her son to the shop and says, Get eggs. Oh, wait, no, sorry, get milk. And if there's eggs, get six. So get a bottle of milk. And if there's eggs, get six. And he comes back with six bottles of milk and goes, They had eggs. <laughs> <laughs>
2: do you know what I mean? Like it's how it's interpreted. It. Yeah. yeah I like do it. that just for now. Yeah. Yeah. Just just get a six eggs, we will get you the six eggs. Get me one chip, I'll come back with one. one, one chip, egg. yeah, that's what yeah. you're asked
0: for. Yeah. So. The results 81% would say the floral version. Yeah, because they're right. And then 98% would <laughs> say a chip. Yeah, so yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. Zinger's boxed off. I don't have a zinger for this week. I have one and it's a bit
1: childish, So but apparently it's it's the voice of so you know where. Uh, you know that rhyme, this little piggy went to the market. Yeah. You know that one. Mm-hmm. And this little piggy said at home, mm-hmm. "What did the next piggy have?" This little piggy had roast beef. I don't know. I oh, say bread and butter. And this we little piggy know. had none. Yeah. Said, yeah. So apparently this is the thing. Uh, and is
0: that the answer you were looking for him to say?
1: Yeah. 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 Some people say roast
2: beef. Oh, very good.
1: Yeah. Some people say roast beef, but some people say bread and butter. So do you say bread and butter or do you say roast beef? Look at what fifty, what nine episodes in. I'm struggling I think Yeah, this mo- what we're, like we're close we're close to the end <laughs> shout out to Ryan Bowles anyway so sending me that one he's from Ring's End and his board's on Fingless and he said there's be trouble with that. I'm from Fingless. so it could be a Fingless thing actually Fingless yeah thing, it could yeah, be a Fingless yeah. thing
0: but uh, yeah I think what in the last couple of English. was English see what Zingers, bad yeah. have yeah.
2: you got one that no no the funny one that somebody said a weird one is that if you're in the shower do you wash your hair first or do you wash your body first Oh, that's actually that's actually not a bad. I wash thing, my yeah. hair first. Yeah, yeah I wash my hair think,
0: first. To, something, stepping in. Yeah, I think. I'd, yeah, I wash my hair, first yeah. My hair first, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hair's first. yeah, hair the first thing to get wet. No, yeah. when you
1: think about it. Yeah. Yeah. What's well, a question you have to think about? Isn't it? Yeah,
2: yeah. it is. Yeah, that's not bad. Yeah, that's it's not something bad you have to
0: think about. You
2: yeah. came in help a didn't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I yeah, had to, yeah. love that. Love that. And I don't have more hair. Look, You're doing well. What? Yeah, doing well. I know. I know,
0: fellas. Move her over this side a bit, Fellas, half your age, with Quarter there <laughs> 25
2: <laughs> 50 this year man mm.
0: Love it Right Shouldn't we forgot to mention So When the tickets go on sale They're going to be 20 euro each Including and, and booking fee And then there'll be a booking fee Where there Right there'll be So there'll be a hall door And booking fee And booking fee Yeah so just That's it Keep Sug- that in mind Yeah Suggestions uh, 20 euro is actually a great price as well Yeah Just saying, you know what I mean So but
2: people have Sorry It's a round figure
0: Yeah I yeah. think it's reasonable a score
2: yeah, yeah, it's a round a figure yeah. Bleeding 20 blow
0: for a That's score That's what I was going to uh, say, yeah Yeah, do you know what I mean Smokes are about bleeding 21 euro or something Yeah, yep. long like a cocoa pop
1: Yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, Some people uh, Sent us in a couple of questions They want to know Who books the guests And how do we get the guests
0: Both so, of us, both of us Oh, I mean <laughs> Both of us aren't go loud out. Yeah. So like there's a mixed bag.
1: Yeah, so we have to say and the guests, but that's on, that doesn't mean that we say, Get us this person and they come in. Uh the lads do suggest people for us. Like it's a team effort here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Everyone has to pull that way. Yeah. So we would say, Can you get us X, Y, or Z? Because the lads might have a better reach than us, or we might know them. And if you go through the guests that we've had we, we do actually know most of them directly yeah. and we just send them a message ask them do they want to come on or sometimes the lads and go out will send a message for us like Darren that's how we got you in here Yeah, uh, and
0: yeah and They just suggest them sometimes Some, they say lads what do you think of this person that person that person and Yeah, we'll be like no, no sounds good
1: Yeah or whatever yeah exactly. but we do still pick the guests because I know a lot of people are getting very snipey and narky about us saying, like, oh, you can tell who's picking the guests. We pick the guests. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: So, so it's always been like that. There yeah. be any somebody, would there be any time somebody would say, no, we don't want him on or we don't want her on? All the time. Happens, yeah. <laughs> Last <laughs> oh, week. <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> this week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll bring our man on.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, well, no, I'm mess. No, it's not like that. But
0: uh, we, me and parents to be chatting like, we Think this person could be good, and like even if the other one is hesitant, you just give, give you a point across saying, yeah. Look, this person will be good because this, this, and this they stand for that, and this would be good,
2: and the usual carry you on go with out. that. Yeah, so but well, yeah, we we still have the final say mm-hmm. before but the It's is good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. kind of unsure. You're going, Is that the best gamble, yeah, or is that not the best gamble?
1: In fairness, and there's been a lot of them where you'll be like, I don't know, will, will this be good, and they've turned out to be exceptional. Yeah. Like, there's loads of them where you are be like, Oh, I can't believe how well that went, considering yeah. like. We were hesitant about getting them on. Definitely. You know? Um, And then another question someone said is, would you have somebody from the third floor on? I said no, because we're not allowed down on the third floor.
0: They shouldn't be allowed up here. Yeah, but we're not allowed down because of our antics. Yeah, but like, it doesn't matter. You don't realise how loud we are. It's actually a joke. Like As soon as we come in, like everyone's like, ah, for fuck's sake. But what's the third floor? (laughs) So uh, we're on the fifth floor now, yeah. the third floor is news news talk, talk and oh, the the professionals and all, yeah. yeah.
2: So the only third floor I knew was when my auntie lived in Ballymun. Yeah, yeah. No. you
0: don't want to go there no either.
2: Thingless. You only have two floors, upstairs, downstairs, we don't have a third floor. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, no, the third floor in this gaff,
0: ah,
1: stop. Yeah, big business getting done down there, you know what I mean? It's I think they have a so bouncer on the stairs, you know
0: what I mean? Sorry, so lads, not tonight. Nah, but do you know what, I actually agree with them. Yeah, Eddie Roy. Yeah, they're neck heck of us. We will be screaming, shouting. I'm going, trouncing. I'm going down that
1: whole floor, floor after this. You're looking, not going down now because I heard a rumor going around. Hey, mugs are down there. Have you ever talk about this? Because We, we can talk about it. No logo. names, no names mentioned, right?
2: Is that your mugs is in your face or your mugs is in your? I've <laughs> yeah, to, to keep away. Yeah, yeah, don't let them in. Yeah,
1: <laughs> uh, we had mugs. Personalised mugs. Me and Taranis have yeah. their names and the logo are on them. And we brought them over and that was grand. Everything was great for a few weeks. And then just one day they went missing. And we kind of let it slide, didn't we? And we didn't really no, didn't know. We didn't. <laughs> did we not know? We
0: caused murder. <laughs> I mean, we caused murder. Carbage joint no. the make us look real nice. We do you were know like, what I like, mean? Where's your mugs? We were refusing to do a podcast and all. But we didn't get them. And you didn't get them back? No, but we still we did, did. We, did yeah. get yeah. we, we did get them back. We did get them back. What did you mean for a <laughs> Big fucking herd in the times?
1: Yeah, we we did, uh, We did. got the Mac eventually and then they went missing again. But I don't know, how did we, how did we not get good more than a second time then? I think we were over it. Well, but well, we should be the ones yeah, stroking. I think it's an insult. I think that's somebody acting a bollocks for us because they're personalised mug. So it's not as if you're using it by accident. They know who owns that mug.
0: As your
2: fucking name, That's what know? I'm saying.
0: That logo w- and a name. So they
2: know. Is it not secretly an invite to come to the third floor it could be a, a
1: copy of syrup yeah, I think a Trojan horse yeah, kind of thing come down yeah. to the third floor yeah get handcuffed back. get them out of here they were acting a
0: bollocks on the third floor Pack yeah. any lump in the head off the
2: top so you have to stage one pack any show to get your mm. mugs back we're gonna, I'll just walk into the middle of news talk sorry I'm looking for a couple of mugs or oh, I
1: found a few yeah walk out
0: talking <laughs> 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 with the dad jokes do you know what I mean yeah but this is just a little message yeah bring our mugs back or else and that's it or else you be down looking for them that's it yeah. not, that's that that's that suggestions done
1: yeah uh, no real questions this week a lot of just
0: yeah, went, went in. see when we, we put the yoke up on uh, the Instagram on the talking bollocks like Instagram on a Sunday saying suggestions and people just keep writing and they like that like, great
2: just do it when it's a live it. show and all yeah. yeah
0: we're like no tell us something to talk
2: <laughs> so you yeah. don't know we, you should yeah. do a greatest hits of all your show not about on Saturday they have like an RTE I'm telling you a load of bollocks the, the, yeah. yeah no I'm I mean, telling you all all the
1: the ball. Ball. The, no the I don't think so Did, was somebody onto you because huh. there's a leak in it in this building. Every time I come up with something, <laughs> on the next episode somebody talks about it. Happened in the McGookin episode. It happened a few times with the film club, remember? I think someone tapped my phone.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you because remember. Calvin literally only said this to me last week that we should do something yeah, like it's that. It's a great. Yeah, why not? They were run through of all the episodes. Playboy play. By
2: all play. All the episode, let Everybody see who you had on, mm. you know, except for your mugs. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah your poor mugs. So we're gonna get the mic on, ten you? I'm gonna yeah. get. It's like
0: taken. It is. You know what I mean? It's gonna be uh, slot on her particular, se-
1: particular set of skills.
0: Yeah. Fact. So, suggestions boxed off. As I said, send us in actual things you want us to talk about. Do you get know I me? Mean? Mm. Darling. Yeah. Into yourself, pal. Before. So what we do were all, I guess we just go back to the start. Mm-hmm. Tell us what life was like growing up, blah, 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 where you're from or not. But before we do that. Tell us what you actually do first.
1: Yeah.
2: What I actually do first. Because yeah. people might be looking at this saying, who's your man? Yeah,
1: I'd
2: be looking at myself saying, who's your man? <laughs> but, <laughs> do
1: day. you know what? Actually, if someone recognises you because what your profession is, I'd be worthy of them if they're able to say, oh, that's, I know him. And i am like, right, he's a bogey
0: then. <laughs> you have a previous guest will be looking at yeah. He's all right, yeah, he's a good members skin.
2: Members of my family be going, that's your man. <laughs> um, I'm a barrister at law, so I practise law, mainly crime, mainly in crime. Right, really? Since 2015.
0: Good contact to have. Yeah. yeah. Good
2: contact to have, yeah. And I just kind of... I can say I was made to do it. I was in, like, you were built for it? No, I was made. Oh, you were May pushed yeah. into doing it <laughs> already. <right. laughs> she, she was my wife at the time and she suggested, oh, she said, I think you should do law medicine. And I was going, like, she's off her head. Law medicine? Does nice ring ringing me, mate, she's telling me what to do already. <laughs> and the, uh, So she said, come on, she said, um, you should go back and study law. So I was in a different career at the time and the... Uh, so we listened to her and I went in and started a law degree in DBS and it went seriously wrong from there on in. So the, uh, and that's how it began. I met a friend in there who's a guard and yeah, we became really good pals. And he said near the end of the law degree, come on, we become barristers, he said. And I was going to off his head. Me, a barrister. And I went home, said it to Fiona. He wants me to become a barrister. Oh, you'd be great, she said. And we went and did the exams. I think it was 2012. And we failed the exams there were entrance exams. You had to do five of them. And we failed, and myself and Fergal. And I was driving a taxi at the time. And I went out that Friday night, you know, depressed. Oh, I'm at, I think about the failing me exams, you know. You had to wait a while for the results. And the first ferry I got was on George's Street and dropped a lady, I think it was, to Rap Mines, I think it was, or Renola, I think it was Renola. And she, she ran off real paying me. You know, I remember, <laughs> Legend. I, remember I was going, i run out a killer and i kill seen these guards and says, your woman's not have to pay me. And he says, oh, there's nothing we can do. I said, you can't. I said, I said, it's a section A, making off offer of pain. How did you know? I just set me entrance exams in the King's Inns. So you ran after your woman anyway, but look, we just mm. let her away with it. And uh, so the following year we set the exams and we get in, you know, mm. and we spent two years in the King's Inn. So. That's yeah. how I ended up in there. We'll get around to
1: all that. Yeah. That was just a little teaser.
2: Yeah. 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 Just
1: real quick, I want to call you on something. You said it was a Section 8, not paying. Is Section 8 not Public Order?
2: No, that's Public Order Act. Yeah, that's a different so one. So two
0: different things. This Act. was the Teflon Fraud Offences Act. Act. Yeah, yeah, there's two different ones. Yeah. There's two different Section 8s. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's loads <laughs> of different sections. sections.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And the worst thing, while I was thinking out tonight, you start asking me about the sections of law, people would be thinking he knows nothing. Yeah.
0: <laughs> what Section <laughs> 10?
2: Section 10, I don't know. Section 10 of what though?
0: I don't
2: don't know. I just just, have to look it up. Section 8 of the Public
1: Order Act, you have to leave the area, blah, blah, blah. But was that not if you were
2: suspected of doing a crime? If you are suspected of doing something funny, yeah. Yeah. Suspected of doing a crime. And how would you know that?
1: How do I know that? Because I looked her up because I know from standing in a park, a public park, a guard come in and he says you all have to leave on the Section 8 of the Public Order Act. Mm -hmm. And someone said, for what? And he said, loitering. And he said, Well, how can you be loitering? when we're in a public park entitled mm-hmm. to be here? Mm-hmm. And the guard on the youth one and walks right back out. Very <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. So I looked there her up know. because I
1: was yeah, but just be standing around in the garden's over section eight, you have to know. Been here like a
0: thousand times? But so
1: what like mm-hmm. yeah. so yeah, that's <clears throat> I looked her up and I was like, right, you can't just come over and tell people to live and then it's, uh, it's, unless you're suspected of uh,
2: committing a crime. And if you look bit, her up on the internet uh, yeah. yeah, interesting, isn't it? The internet, you can find anything you anything want. Anything in the world. Anything you want. Incredible. Yeah. Absolutely incredible, yeah. But I made sure like,
1: it wasn't on, like, Wikipedia or something. Mm-hmm. It was in like, the, yeah. the, proper, yeah. the proper You release, find dodgy like, things on Wikipedia. Voice or something yeah, or what, dodgy but, section 8 on Wikipedia, yeah. <laughs> yeah no, but, but, you know, it's nice to know that because mm. then you don't want guys just coming over for the sake of it and saying a Random law, and you're thinking, Oh, I haven't got the right to be standing here. Mm-hmm. And it's like, unless you're suspected of doing a crime or about to commit a crime, mm-hmm. or you know, like that, it's basically being suspicious. Mm-hmm. So it's always nice to know the law because mm-hmm. then you know you can't get yourself caught out. Mm-hmm. Grand little lesson there off yeah, yeah. oh, the COB, Billy.
0: you be coming
2: into the courts now tomorrow. You're <laughs> coming in, in a couple of weeks. <laughs> It's
0: not have to section 10, is it? No, well, that's yeah, why, we, yeah. got that's you why your we got you arm. That's
1: why we got on are looking
0: to get yeah. you the with Nixon. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. Oh, stop playing, so wetting, boys. Roy, starting. into yourself. What's your name? Where would you come from and what was life like growing up?
2: What's my name? Okay, Darren Lawler's my name and it's yeah. L-A-L-O-R. And everybody called me Dazzler or Darren and, you know, D or all other names. But they never really, or Lawler. What's the story, Lawler, you know? <clears throat> so they never really called me Darren Lawler. Um, so from Finglas, uh, I moved to Finglas, I think, when I was two. My mum and dad had a flat on the North Circular Road. And we moved to Finglas when I was two, Ballygall Parade. And then when I was 12, then we moved down to Griffith Close. And so I remained in Griffith Close until about, do you think it was 2009. And I moved in with Fiona then. And then just life just took over, you know, as simple as that. What was life like growing up? Uh, it was interesting because up in Ballygall Parade, like the, the people I grew up in Ballygall Parade were the same people I grew up in Griffith Close. But just then we met other people as well. So we, we've kind of been around the same people all the time, you know. And it was interesting, like I was always into dogs and music and, you know, contraption speakers and radios and wondering how things always worked. And uh, I always put my mind into that. But big into football. Um, I was never really into going to pubs and, you know, kind of hanging around corners or drinking around like that. I just never really drank, you know. But life is okay growing up. Sometimes it'd be difficult because the... Uh, you'd be kind of trying to find things to do. But we always played football or we always, um, we always got up to things. I had a video camera and myself, and my friend, Scott Dunn, used to go around making videos, you know, and uh, we used to go on long walks with dogs. So we, we just kind of made the most of the time that we had and we had plenty of time to make the most of, you know. Yeah. not we like? nothing. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's different back then. What were you like in school?
2: I don't know. I think I left school at 14. What was I like in school? I was interested in school, um, but I just left at 14, I was in Benefan College. I started in the De La Salle. Well, Mother Divine Grace made me communion, went to the De La Salle, And then we went to Benefan College. And everybody thought, oh, Benevent College, it must be loaded. It was just the secondary part of the De La Salle. And I think I left there when I was 14. Why? I don't know. I don't know <laughs> why. I woke up one morning and yeah. said, fuck okay, this. So I, had a, yeah, no, I kind of had a job, like, you know, I was doing the job, like, you know, working on a milk round and vegetable rounds and... I just didn't go to school. I just thought, like, you know, I've, I've other business to do out there. But what don't the need business to go to was, school,
1: yeah. yeah. Well, that's
2: what I thought. And I was yeah. thinking, oh, I don't need to go to school. I've other things to be doing. But I didn't know where, what I had to be doing, you know. But still, yeah. I had to be growing for music, always into music. And mm-hmm. it was always trying to head in that direction, you know. Mm-hmm. So I left school at 14 and started working vegetable rounds, milk rounds, um, coal rounds. You know, always working for people. Yeah. You know, low-wage jobs, yeah. And how long did you do that for then? Oh, on and off, I think, until I'm only guessing till I was about 16. Uh, this guy called John B. Hieslip. he owned a shop down near the Creamer where we lived. And he always said to me, um, if you go to Foss, he says, I'll get you a good job. So I listened to him and I went into Foss and he got me a job in uh, Presco. Um, and I remained there for, I think it was over 10 years of my life. And, I, you know, I never, I learned how to do things, but I never learned to craft. I never went to school. I never went to college. You always kind of had that self-doubt, like, oh, this is for other people, you know? And sometimes other people would let you know. Yeah. You know, oh, look, you're a labourer. This is what you do. And other people would try and encourage you. Um, but I, I did, like, milk rounds and vegetable rounds. And I was kind of mixing and matching things, like, through my life. So I couldn't put an exact, an exact time. But I, I really ended up, I think, in a normal job around the age of maybe... 18 or 19, maybe a little bit earlier than that, you know. A normal nine-to-five job. Yeah. yeah. So then, talk, talk to us then. So you've worked a lot of jobs. My jobs, yeah. I was milk round, coal round, vegetable round. Um, used to hold a sign for a place called Mary Bowers and uh, what was it, in um Henry Street. I used to sell posters in Henry Street. Um <laughs> mad jobs like you know and I was always into something always trying to keep work on but yeah uh, I never really like held a proper job down until I went to Presco for ten years. And the um so then I very slowly start falling into music. You know, I wanted to be a weightlifter and a powerlifter. Always interested with a Hulk and I went off and I did that. So I used to go to the gym all the time and I met this guy called Alan McAdams. He's a bass player and he told me he's in a band. And then we just became friends and I had a video camera. We went to video them one night in Barnstormers, just mad place with all hippies and rockers. And I always thought I was on a different planet, like, you know. And uh, my interest in music just kind of took off from there, you know. And I was, um, Alan's band had split up Shrine, and I was going, oh, this is me out letting music on. And then Kieran went out on his own, the singer, and he asked me, would I manage him? And I was going, kind of like, manage him? Sure I've got i don't know, end about managing them and he said look i'll give you two numbers he said here's chrissy digham's number Elvaslan, and tony mcginnis's number and the music things just kind of took off from there still held a day job but the music was kind of like the big passion and hobby on the side you know And had the lads took off then Oh, well shrine won the um battle of the balance and 2fm and yeah, they were really good but I, I think they felt they took it as far as they could they had interest in the UK and they were kind of let down by managers and people who were promising them this and promising them that and the uh, but Kieran had a great voice and he um, teamed up with a guy called Stephen Bickers and they wanted to get into a place called the um the Da Club they always wanted to play these type of venues and I didn't know what the Da Club was and then I found it was a place where people drink wine up an alleyway just around the corner from here and the um so they asked me to manage them, but they wanted the Aslan gigs. They wanted to support Aslan to get that recognition. And the, um, so Kieran and Stephen went as far as they could. And then I was doing the, the Aslan gigs with them. And Alan Downey set me one day up in the Fingal. He said, look, we're looking for a roadie. And he said, would you like to be the roadie for Aslan? And I was going, oh, for me? I said, a roadie? He said, yeah, you'd be great. He said, we'll take you under our wing and we'll sort you out and know, put you on the right track. Mm. And that's where the music again took off, you know. But still, I had left school early, no education. Yeah. You know, so all these hopes and dreams, but nothing to back it up. Yeah. You know?
1: And you're on like a world tour with Aslan, did you?
2: Well, we did, um, <coughs> we, Aslan, we went to Australia, we were in Spain, um, we were in France, we went to Jersey, you know. So we were kind of all over the place. Yeah. Australia was the furthest we ever went, you know. and the, um, So Aslan, I started with Here Comes Lucy Jones, just when the album was coming out. And I finished just before um, Waiting for This Madness to End. That was just being released. So I think I was there for four or five albums. But I think it was four albums. Made in Dublin, Waiting for This Madness to End. And the... Um, Classics. Oh, great albums. Yeah. It was a great time, you know, to go in. Like, I was very young. I was... Um, I think I was 26, but very young in my mind. And suddenly I was launched into this kind of um, a very very public arena with Aslan and keeping my day job at the same time. Yeah, You know, trying to balance two things. Afraid to give it a full-time thing, just in case it went wrong. Yeah. And the um, it was great. Absolutely great. Mm-hmm. Dream come true. So you have some stories from that? Oh, come here. Like, you know, I was idolised Chrissy Dignam growing up. Yeah. Great storyteller. The way he could go on stage, tell a story. And when you listen to the songs, you go, Jesus, he's singing about me? Or, are you singing about the girl next door? Or, are you singing about, you know? And you just always kind of, it's just a passion. Everybody could relate to him, but to be asked, are you be the roadie? And I go, this is nuts. And, um, Joe would give me his guitar. I'd go home, take it apart, put it back together, bring it in from the next day, and he'd look and say, "Oh no, this is off or that is off," you know. And it just took off from there. But you, it, it took a while to kind of find your feet, what your job was, what you were meant to do. So I started off as the the road, you know, taking the gear in, setting it up, and then production manager. Then, which involved the same things, but you were kind of buying and selling um, all their their uh, equipment and getting endorsements and booking the support bands, you know, and the stories were absolutely crazy, you know, absolutely crazy things happened on the road, things you could never, uh, yeah, I think you could going to say, in there, yeah. but you're sitting there saying, no huh? comment, bro. Yeah. No, the thing, like, we used to arrive in, um, Aslan used to play every nook and cranny of the country. You yeah. know, Larkin and Ennis was their man. Still do. Oh, they still do. And Larkin was, his view was, was like, you know, go see the people instead of having one gig in the Point or one in the Olympia. You know, go to all the nooks and crannies around the country, you know. And we were all over the place. We were up in, i was one of your colleagues this, I'll probably get slated by this poor blind fella down in Cute Hill. We were in Cute Hill and the, um, Jerry Quinn was the other roadie, you know. And myself and Jerry didn't always get on but we worked brilliantly together. You know, if Jerry was your backup man, any gig you were doing, Jerry was the guy to have with you, you know? And um, I was kind of more, a little bit more technically minded than he was, but he had a great kind of, um, a great street cred, you know? He kind of, um, he just knew how things worked, you know? And we were down in um, Cute Hill one time, and the, um, it was a small little town and this guy used to have a living room and it was called the venue. So the living room with the house was the venue. So people would come from all over the place to see Aslan and they'd be looking in through the windows. And we were down there one time and this, um we noticed this guy was sitting down with glasses on. He had a pair of sunglasses. And um, I thought it was one of the last from Westlife. Just senior man sitting down. And Jerry said, uh He goes, look at your man over there with the glasses, you know. So Jerry's packing up the gear and he says, "Um," he goes, you must be expecting the sun, (laughs) yeah." And your man goes, what? You must be expecting the sun. And he goes, "Uh, no, no. He says, I'm blind, like, you know. (laughs) And I was going, oh, Jesus, you know. So Jerry had to go up and say to the manager, Jesus, look, he says, um, I'm insulting your man over there. He's blind. I didn't know. I thought he was one of the lads west Westlife, you know? So the Larkin goes, you better give him, some, give him some merchandise. So Jerry goes back and gives your man a CD and a book, you know? <laughs> so he hands your man the book and he says, uh, oh, look, I'll get one of my mates to read it to me after, like, you know? Uh-oh. So there are funny stories. you know. I mean, obviously not funny for, yeah. you know, you have be very careful what you say, but things like that, yeah. you know, very innocent things that can go wrong. Mm-hmm. But that was just one of the many... Um, mm-hmm. One of the, a lot of them will come to my mind now yeah I say
1: we had Christy on we went up and uh, we actually done an episode in his gaff he's great isn't he yeah he invited us in so yeah. give a shout out to Christy
0: yeah. Christy is a legend that's what we were saying it'd be great to get Christy in now to the studio because one thing we regretted was not hearing him singing like, in front of us, we'd have loved to get him to sing on that podcast. Mm-hmm. But we never got him to sing. Kind yeah. coined the bottle, didn't we? Yeah, we, got we were like, it. oh, we'll ask him, we'll ask we like him. We were, we're in his house, house yeah. yeah. You know but what I mean?
2: You don't want to ask when you hear that, When you hear Christy open his mouth, I don't mean, like, open his mouth, but when he when he just sings, it's just that rawness and just that passion. Like, you know, it's it's absolutely incredible. Mm. Just to actually see somebody, like, deliver something, whether he's written it or not, just the way he can... You know, uh, take somebody else's work, or even take his own work, and deliver it in such a way that everybody gets it. You know, and it's a very, um, it's a very unusual talent to have. But to actually work with somebody who you were a fan of for years. Um, I remember one time I was in a working me day job and this girl rings me Sarah McQuill and she was crying. She said, Did you hear Christie's dead? "Is Christie's no, Jesus, no. I said, you better not be. He, said, he owes me money. I said he's dead. And she says, He's dead. So you say he owes me money? Yeah, he owes me. Money. <laughs> <You know? laughs> <laughs> and I remember like Larkin Ennis, the manager ringing me, he goes, Are you getting phone calls that Christie is dead? I said, Geez, everybody's ringing me. He said, Geez, I've MCD on to me and all, like wondering what's going on, you know? So he said, Look, if you hear anything, he said, Give me a shout. I said, Keep on ringing him, Larkin. I said, There's no answer to the phone. So eventually he got through to Christy. and he goes, Look, are you hearing I'm dead? I said, Yeah, everybody. He said, I'm not dead. I said, Well, obviously you're not, you know? So we didn't know what was going on because Jerry Ryan was on that morning. He goes, Mother, hearing sad news. Um, we'll confirm it just after the break, you know? And uh, so I said to Christy, look, you want to, we want to find out what's going on. What happened was we found out eventually that a neighbor of his had died around the corner. But the way Christy would do, the way he would take things and the way he would explain them, he'd said like, uh, Darren, you wouldn't believe what happened. One of Catherine's friends knocked at the door, obviously to come around to, you know, console her, Christy. And I answered the door and she nearly dropped dead in front of me. Like, you know, <laughs> I thought you were dead, you know. So the... Yeah. Um, So little mishaps like that, you know. Well, mishaps for one person, but tragically for somebody else, you know, unfortunately.
1: I'm sure we'll get the good stories off her. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So come here, how long were you with the boys for?
2: I was trying to think of that on the way in. I know I started with, um, Here Comes Lucy Jones was just being finished at the time. The lads were just kind of... uh, What year would that have been then? I'm just trying to think of... Early 90s, is it? Yeah, I'd say the early 90s because, like, 1988, they got back together. Or 1988 to split, 94, they got back and Goodbye Charlie Moonhead was out. And uh so the Here Comes Lucy Jones, I'd say around the 90s, yeah, when that came out. And that was just in the demo stages. So I kind of I went in very kind of like immature to music, but kind of knew the way I'd like things to look. Or if I was going to see Aslan, or if I was going to see you, I'd like the things to look a certain way. And um, the lads kind of had that thing as well, you know, that things should be a certain way. So the um we went in on that, I went on that album and then what happened was, was then just the tour then happened, you know, the Olympias and all that type of stuff, you know, and, um, but they're just great times. Mm. You know, absolutely great. And for a band that have been around such a long time with such history to effectively take it under their wing and like they're teaching you, you know, and then eventually they start relying on you based on what they've taught you. Just a great privilege, you know. Mm. And when all that packed in, what did you move on to the next thing? Oh God. Um, <laughs> When all that packed in, I was then did stuff with the four of us. They're from Newry. They did a big hit out years ago, Mary, and uh, they were great lads to work with. They used to like rehearse rehearsals, you know great songwriters and really, really into their music and then I moved then on to Mickey Hart then mm. doing stuff with Mickey Hart after he came back from the Eurovision and back and forth to the four of us and then some stuff with George Murphy you know. So you stayed in managing music? Um, well I started in doing the production part you know. Yeah. Now with George Murphy Dave Brown was his manager not Dave Brown from Picture House, the other Dave Brown and I'm not going to say like I co-managed George but myself and Dave would bang our heads together and try come up with ideas uh, for George you know and I was driving a taxi at the time because you know there wasn't that much work work around i always kept the job and the um so the uh the mickey Hart thing was very interesting to see we did crow park uh for the um special olympics at that time just to see the reception Mm. that mickey Hart would have on the big stage you know and then going to work with somebody like george morphy you know kind of on that kind of folk end of things you know so the um i've seen um i've been around kind of different genres of music that Mm. word um But they all had their own story to tell. But they're all unique as well. You know, because George did stuff with the Dubliners. And I was going like, Ronnie Drew. And then, uh, like, Mickey Hart was doing things with, like, he supported them at Tommy Kitten down in Cork. And I was going, Tommy Kitten. And then, like, Aslan were doing, you know, obviously they were headlining all their own gigs. So it was a great mixture, a great Mm. kind of mix of a bag to be thrown into.
1: Mm.
2: Um, So... You pack all the music stuff up, or that was just kind of fizzled out itself. No, it just kind of fizzled out. Like the Aslan thing ended, like on just a phone call, you know. Yeah. They have these things of ended. Thing. I mean, Christy got a phone call and they finished for him. I got a phone call and it finished for me, like you know. And when that happened, like you're devastated. You no, know, yeah. they literally just take the big chunk out of your life, you know. Um, but when the music started fizzling out, I did a thing with George Murphy, and we had um, it was launched up in Donahue's, not too far from here. And the, uh, I was going to get out with Fiona at the time. And what happened was, and I was driving me a taxi, I was driving the taxi, and I was looking after George at the same time. So I had met my future wife driving a taxi. I was coming down, I think it was uh, um, from Condra, and I'd seen three people put out their hand for a taxi, and she get in, our two mates get in the back. And she started asking me about guitars and stuff like that. And I was thinking, maybe she was at an Aslan gig. Why she be asking me about guitars? And they said, look, there's my number. I said, give me a ring and we'll... Um, some chance I well, get to it. You did. Well, mm. What can I say? You know, never gets fed. Do oh, I? So the yeah, uh, she rang me the next day for guitar lessons, and then we ended up becoming friends. You know, and uh, what happened was when did George? Guitar lessons. Do I? was like all in the back then, was it? Well, see, there's only certain strings you can pull. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I was well in tune. So the um... <laughs> so the uh, So what happened was we just became friends, and then she kind of knew what I. She knew what I did. You know, kind of part time. And she could see it going, I'm not going to say going wrong, but she could see it going nowhere, you know, because you'd be working on this project and then you'd be on to the next one. Mm. There's no real money in it, especially if you're holding down another job. So she just recommended, the night Michael Jackson died, she said to me um, on Stephen's Green, would you not do law or medicine? And I was like, what? I said, law or medicine? And she goes, yeah, No, I did weights for years. And I was thinking, maybe she wants you to be a physio. And But law, it's just no intersertive, no leaving of mm. nothing. And what does she do? She's... She works at James's. She's a nurse. She's assistant director of nursing. So she's kind of like the old matrons. Remember the old matrons? She used to was around keeping the nurses in line. But Fiona's not like a white glover. Like if you went in tonight with a cardiac arrest, she'd work on you, you know? She'd be in charge. She'd be visiting like over 50 wards. Yeah. Um, so she just kind of noticed this thing, as I said before to other people, that I didn't know I had, you know, like an ability to do mm. something different. So the um, tonight Michael Jackson died, we set up, we were watching telly. And yeah, we were watching all the scenes from where he lived. And I said, okay, I'll go into Dublin Business School and see. We did a bit of research on it. And the law part just kind of happened from there.
1: And you were just doing like law with like no real end goal. You just like, I'll do this and see what happens?
2: or did That's you want exactly to- it. Yeah. It was kind of like, I'll do this and see what happens or see what, um, see where I can kind of get out, but see where it's going to lead. You know, I was kind of lost at that time. Yeah. You know, we didn't know what to be doing or where to be turning. How old uh, are you at this stage? Oh, geez. Well, um, it was 2008, so I'm 50 this year. So I was in my mid-30s, you know. Mm. I just didn't know what to be doing. And um, so we decided to go in, like, do the law degree, went into DBS, and uh, John O'Keefe and Barry Halton were the the guys went in. I think John O'Keefe was the dean at the time. And Barry Halton was a barrister. I didn't know him. We went in for the open day. And you know, people were guards and they worked in the Department of Justice, and then other people did this, and I'm driving a taxi. And I said, Look, lads, I know nothing about law. And they said, Do you have any kids around like that? I said, No. And he said, okay. They said, look, put your mind into this for the first year. Once you get through that, you'll be grand. We'll mind you, you know. So just kind of started from there. And the law degree took three years. Drove me taxi um, during the day or sometimes at night time. We used to mix and match it. And um, I'd get all my notes. Read them into my phone and played them in the Bluetooth. Gone around the the city. That's the only way I could learn. Yeah. Because you know? I wasn't a great reader. I could read, but it would have to really interest me to read things. Yeah. And the um and that's how it started. Yeah. It was as simple as that, you know.
1: And oh, we well, the only uh, the own jobs around at the courts trying to pick up a few solicitors and barristers down the, there. Yeah.
2: The um I used to pull in at the um the Globe at night time in in uh, I think it was Georgia Street. And I'd be recording the stuff in. And then we had to, I had to move some of the, the work days then. And the uh, I used to pull about So James's hospital and then the CCJ. And then people used to get into the car, like, you know. Mm. And this guy got in one day, Luigi Ray, and he goes, hey, You seen it? there's this law book sitting there, and he goes, hey, Are you in trouble, son? Like, I said, I'm doing this law degree, and I, you know, I'm stuck on evidence, wherever it was. And he said, Oh, you you need to look here, you need to look there, you know. And um, so I kept on going back to the courts. So I told Barry Halton, oh, I had this guy in the car today, Luigi Ray. Oh, Luigi Ray, he said, tell him I was asking for him. He's practising like 40 years. And I didn't know who Luigi Ray was. And he, um, So I just kept on going to the courts. And Luigi said to me a year later, he said, look, if you want to be a barrister, and if you come down, you know, I'll take you on. He says that the um, you can be me devil. Didn't know where the devil was, what's the devil, you know? And it's like an apprenticeship that you kind of do in your first mm. year. And it just kind of happened from there. So every day I would pull up, see who'd be getting into the car and then um, try to rob of tips voice. off them. Huh? Yeah. Voice off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, try rob really, tips off them, yeah. It's, yeah. it's a clever
1: way of going about it, you know. Like, you'll have all this information in a book, but you can get real-life examples from people who are in the,
2: in the know-how, in that field, then why not? Oh, be, look, it's incredible. This gentleman got in one time, uh, this lady got in one time, and she said to me, oh, if you're looking for this, um, this book on something she says, or... We look for a particular area of law. She says that this barrister, she says, wrote a great article on that. So she told me where to get it. And I had an A4 pad and she wrote his name down, Tony McGillicuddy, you know. And she says, look for his article online. She says, you'll find it. I think it will help you. So I said, grand. Dropped the lady down to the forecourt, went back to the CCJ. And four or five people, wherever it was, came back, came into the car then. And uh, I threw all their stuff in the boot. And on the front seat was the A4 piece of paper. So this gentleman gets in, he picks it up and he goes, um, he says, what's my name? <laughs> like no way. A4 Pad. And I said, no way, let tell you what happened, you know. So all these coincidences just kind of happened at the same time. And he, um, I just stuck with it, you know. It was tough. Yeah. But I stuck
0: with it. You Did know? you ever imagine when you were younger, you had to go into that? Not out. a
2: hope. No, no, you wind me up, not a hope.
1: Did I you p- ever have any run-ins with law And you like,
2: you know? No, I used, like I used to look at the difference between right and wrong, you know. And how can he can be guilty of that, but he's not guilty of this? Or how can the police do this or do it? I was always kind of interested in how things worked. But um, I didn't have any run-ins with the law. Like everybody else. I mean, you know, you get your scrapes growing up. Boy. I kind of kept myself, not going to say clean, but, you know, away from trouble. I was always busy doing you can things. still
0: travel, sort of.
2: Yeah, yeah, you know, but that doesn't mean that, you know, there's other people <laughs> out there who kind of... You're going to sing now, is it? Yeah, <laughs> there's other people out there who kind of... Um, it's not their fault, you know, kind of like who they are. Yeah. Because they maybe they came from a different background. And it's very important that people recognise I've been very lucky. I mean, Aslan took me under their wing, you know, to to do what I've done, you know, for a lot of my life. And Luigi Ray took me under his wing. But all this thing with law wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for Fiona. You yeah. know, she kind of just noticed something there that we can kind of build upon and, and try to get a, a proper education.
1: Yeah, it does seems very weird that you'd pick like law for a career if there's no kind of background there to, uh, like to, to steer you down that way. And especially, said, you said your wife is in medical as well. Yeah. But just law seems very weird. Like, mm. And I think this is a big thing. Like, there's so many people from our area who will have run into it law,
2: mm-hmm. but
1: don't choose law as a career. Or the siblings don't choose law as a career. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Because you wouldn't be short a few clients. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's a
2: See, I didn't pick law. It was yeah. picked for me, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know, and the, uh, but it was just, it's kind of like somebody saying to you, look, I think you should do a podcast and you're probably sitting there going, why do we want to do that for? But it's just an idea. And I just, I just, excuse me, I just went with it. Mm. Like, why not? Because everything, everything else I did in life, you could say was a gamble, but life is not a gamble. I'm not here for that. I'm here to do something. And sometimes you don't recognize yourself what you can do or what you can't do. I mean, when I started with Aslan, to, to work with Aslan up to get to the Point Depot or to do the, the Made in Dublin, the Five Nights in Vickers Street, and to be in charge of that production, like the, the, the live part. But Obviously, Larry Bass was the guy who did the Made in Dublin part. Um, but to be part of the, uh, the live production and to, to run it and to advise on it, all that came about only because other people seen in me that maybe he can become a little bit better at what we think he can do. Mm. You know, so it's just when other people see it and they kind of, it's like pimp my ride. They kind of take you, they fix you up and you become their product, you know. Mm. So the law thing is not a hope. Me growing up doing law. Yeah.
1: Very profitable career though, isn't it? When you think. But no.
2: Like, well, let me tell you, the answer is no, because when you were saying earlier on, um, I'll give you, i give you an example now. I'll give you a, a question. What would you say? I get paid. For going into the district court. Now my my practice is mainly in the district court because I'm young in years at the bar. You know, I'm there Mm. since two thousand fifteen. I was some work in the circuit court, but mainly district court. So what would you say on your first day in court, not your if you were in court for the first day, I get paid. So let's think now the first day in court is like you get we might apply for legal aid. I might advise you on I might advise you on the charges that you have. We might do a bail application. You may plead guilty on the first day, but for the first day in court, what would you say I get?
1: I don't want to be smart or anything, but I've never actually had to pay a solicitor.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, but no, yeah, we actually, we we'll actually, we'll, we'll actually we'll even that, we don't have free legal aid. <laughs> under, under the, well, in, under the free legal aid scheme, what would you say I get paid?
0: Three fifty. I think. I think.
2: I don't know. I Couldn't tell you. Okay, so you say higher
0: or lower than three fifty? Five hundred.
2: Five hundred for the first day in court yeah. under the criminal legal aid scheme. Your tickets are twenty euro. Plus the booking fee for your show that's coming up. Yeah. Isn't that right? Okay. And I get my haircut for twenty euro around the corner from where I live. 16 euro, throw the girl, a four euro tip. I get it's paid. Yeah. I get paid under the criminal legal aid scheme 25 euro and 20 cent to represent somebody in court on the first day. If you plead guilty and we do the plea mitigation, you know, telling the court why you did it and you, you know, I would get um 50 euro and 40 cents. If it goes to hearing, we get 67 euro under the criminal legal aid scheme. So people think that...
0: So you that don't want the <clears throat> boys to get a strike out in the first aid, No. It.
2: See, it doesn't, it, it doesn't work like that because when somebody comes in, like they're literally, I'm not going to say placing their life in your hands, but something has gone wrong mm. in their life, you mm. know? And they're saying, look, you know, I did it or I didn't do it or whatever the situation is. And when we, people think that when you become a barrister, there's like a... Um, you no, know, there's gold at the end of the rainbow. There's not. See, this is something I'm glad you touched on it there. Are yeah. People putting
1: that your life, their life in your hands. Because like through more experiences in court, like personally, and when I went with friends, and I've yeah. seen like people being represented, I couldn't get my head around it because yeah. like I'm one of these people that if I fail, I fail because of me. If I succeed, i like to succeed because of what I do. Yeah. Um when you see someone standing up in court and they have someone else speaking for them, and it's literally like they're whispering in their ear. And the solicitor, or the barrister speaking, I'm like, you could have actually just spoke those words. You know what I mean? You don't mm-hmm. have to say them to the middleman. But you and can. That, oh, that, yeah, you could, but I mean that always baffled me. So I always thought to myself, like, why are these people not just representing themselves? And not to be insulting mm-hmm. to you or your profession, but I just thought these people are they're very timid when they're speaking. Yeah. They're judges. Mm-hmm. They're like, Oh, my client here on the day in question did this when they are like, have a bit more conviction in your voice, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Stand up put your mm-hmm. chest out speak mm-hmm. sound convincing mm-hmm. and then you see like it'd be put back or whatever and you're like to me it just never sat right with me mm-hmm. you know and uh, it's just the whole the whole experience with law and the courts I think it needs to be cleared up especially for, for people in our area and Jim, when Jim Sheridan was on he, he said it he's like you're not very coerced in law growing up no one actually tells you anything yeah. until you're in the thick of it and you have to learn quick then mm-hmm. and I just think that's something that needs to be broadcast a lot more You know, there's resources available to you you know what I mean like there's knowledge out there. Go and apply yourself with, with things like law. like Simple as that. Like I looked up what Section 8 meant mm-hmm. when the Public Order Act, so it can't be abused towards you. And I think there's a perception with uh, a court that when you go in, it's you against the police and the judge when that's not the case. Mm-hmm. It's you and the police convincing the judge who was right and who was wrong and what happened. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a perception
0: that people need to I change. you stand a lesser chance, though, if you go in without a bad I think for... Because not everybody can employ themselves. No, but. So there's young who are going to go in and they're going to wear the tracksuits and they're going to talk about the talking and going to be like, no, hold on for a minute, like, and, mm. and it just doesn't look well for you. So it's easier to get somebody in who can actually.
2: Boy, what I meant, A lot of young
0: players get frustrated, yeah. well and fumble, and they're like, no, he fucking, you know yeah, what I
2: mean? Yeah. I think it's easy. And, and even if I'm involved in situations like, you know, even if. You know, like if we had, like my mom was sick through COVID and we had one or two difficulties with her care, you know. And yeah, and when you go in to, to you know, to tell the hospital or the nursing home or the doctor what has happened, you, you're kind of wrapped up. You're kind of a ra- little bit too much wrapped up in it, you know. So it's important, I think, to get anybody maybe just to just to kind of maybe step back and let's look at the whole situation mm-hmm. and, and see where it is. Um, for me, going into court, it's not like, see, not everybody... Has Like when you're looking up Section 8, maybe you can pass that bit of wisdom on to somebody else. When I have like Aslan and they train me to become something, they're passing on their wisdom to me. When Fiona, you know, seen something in me, she's passing it on to me. Or when Luigi Ray is passing information on to me, it's kind of passing things down the line all the time. So everybody can benefit because like all the tomorrows are there for everybody, and not just for the people who claim today for themselves, you know. The, the, when you go down and become a barrister, like there's, there's people in there who are geniuses, you know, they're very well educated and they're great people to work around. But the fact is, is, that when you go into... If Fiona wasn't working, I would say I'd be gone from the bar a long time ago because you can't survive in 2520, mm. you know. So I need horse support again to help me keep my practice going. So effectively, she's like subsidized my practice, if I can put it that way. Um, But when you go into court and when somebody is pleading guilty or when they're accused of a crime, I have a job to do. It's the same way when you go into hospital, a surgeon has a job to do. Um, I mean, I'm sure that Fiona and her colleagues are going to give somebody bad news tonight, God forbid, and you may have to give a client bad news. So you're just representing them to the best of their ability. And if they plead guilty and say, look, I'm wrong, it's important to give the court um, a kind of a view of what has happened, you know, how it came about, what the background to the situation is, because every story has a start, middle and end, you know. And when you go to court, you're hearing the end part of it. This is what he did or this is what she did, you know. So the um, when you're standing up in court, people do get frustrated. I get nervous going to the court. If you don't get nervous, what's the point in doing it? Exactly. Yeah. You don't be going and kind of, you know, you Know cocky, like if I can put it that way, and the um, and judges are fair people, they mm. listen to what you have to say, you know, and they will apply the law as, as they see best, mm. you know. Mm. And you have to, ex- of course, judges get it wrong, I get it wrong, I'm sure doctors get it wrong. And the um, but yeah, some people do represent themselves, mm. and some I, people would rely on other yeah. people to help.
1: I'm not saying I, I encourage people to disregard no, it, right. but I mean, like, there's a perception that it's you against. The judge mm. and the guard. When that's not the case, the judge is there to take in all the information and make a decision. Yeah, you're there to plead your case. I the think guard it sounds is
0: there. more difficult. Um, like if you just think about, oh, I'm up in court, you automatically mm. think, "I, I need help." Stop. Yeah, yeah, help. But
1: yeah. What I meant as well is, it's not you against the two of them. Mm-hmm. It's just you against the one. It's mm-hmm. you against the person who has you in court.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And the two is are pleading with the judge. Yeah. You know, yeah, like that. Yeah. Like I had one run in in uh, court in my life, and it was struck out. Mm-hmm. And it was struck out because the judge looked at the situation and says, like, this is ridiculous. And in front of the guard, now I, I personally thought it was very embarrassing on the guard's behalf for even having this up there. And then the judge obviously thought that as well and struck her out. And, and you and,
2: represent yourself?
1: Yeah, just stood up and the judge, yeah, no problem, struck out, good luck And mm-hmm. that was it. And the guard sat there with his head down.
0: And but when they get, do they do coppers get paid extra
2: for going to court I think they do well well, the guard would be on well, well the guard would be on a salary I mean because they're guards you know so I would say that um, when they're going to court during their work day that's part of their work and I'd say that if they're going to court on days that they don't work uh, maybe they get time in lieu you know I can tell you they get more than 25 euro 20 <laughs> cent <laughs> so they're standing outside the
0: courtroom yeah mm-hmm. the names will be on the wall yeah. with the surname alphabetical order the yeah? and if you look on like Certain months, most of the time it'll be one copper has about ten or fifteen. Yeah, papers. the mm-hmm.
1: day I was in court, on, on one copper day. had like thirteen people up. Mm-hmm. There could be stuff.
2: there could be any reason behind that. There could be there could be any reason, you know. So you wouldn't know. I mean, I get a call today. Oh, will you go into court tomorrow and do A, B, and C? You know, and you're given the papers. You meet the client. You find out what the situation mm. is. But it's kind of like. It, it's kind of like going to the hospital and say, well, why didn't they give them that treatment or why did they give them this or why didn't they give them that? You know, it. For me, every situation is very, every shop is easy to look into from the outside. But when you go in, you start to kind of realise what it's all about. Mm. And everybody's situation is different. Every allegation is different. You know, every guilty plea is different, you know. And so it's easy to read the newspapers and say, oh, look at this and look at that, you know, unless you're really... Yeah. Unless you're really in the case, unless you really know about it. so it's very hard to comment on something that you're not part of. Yeah. Uh unless you're part of it. And if you are part of it, you can't really comment on it because mm. it's between you and the client. Yeah. and The court, you know? Well, I think there's I think this is something
1: it's like a mystery, like the law and courts and stuff like that to people until you're in the thick of it. You know, like that, and then people learn about as they're going. And I think that's the wrong way of going about it because you're learning on the job, but like
2: it's a delicate thing, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Because
1: it, it literally could be a livelihood mm-hmm. as in, as but in,
2: even on like, the line there. If you were diagnosed, God forbid, like if I was diagnosed with cancer tomorrow, I'd be off reading up about the cancer I have and mm. what not to eat and what medication. And should I go running or should I do this, you know? So I think that when something knocks on your door, it's only at that time you'll actually sit back and look at what yeah. it is. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the only way I could explain it. Like for me to go into the courts and stand and represent somebody... Um, Like, I'm 50 this year. I went back to school very, very late. And for me, it's just, like, this is incredible to actually stand and represent other people. For me to walk onto stage and tune a guitar for Joey Joel or for Billy McGuinness or Mickey Hart or for Blue, we did a couple of things with Blue, or to walk on the same stage as Madness. You know, these things are incredible to do. Um, But it's only when you're when you look at a show, like you're going to have a live show coming up mm. and you will actually see from your live show the amount of work that goes into that. Mm. So behind the scenes will always be behind the scenes unless you look behind the scenes, mm. I think. Yeah. So uh,
1: you eventually got, you went back, you said you failed yeah. our exams. You eventually you passed them. I
2: eventually passed the Kings in exams, yeah.
1: Yeah. and Horrendous. Mm. <laughs> so what, what, what way is the walk then so you pass that you get into the, you get into King's Inn College yep. it? so
2: excuse me I did the uh, law degree in DBS yeah Dublin Business School that was three years yeah and then you have to do your entrance exam to get into the King's Inns that's to become a barrister isn't yeah it? so when you get into the King's so you get your law degree in Dublin Business School and when you're going into the King's Inns you do your barrister law degree so those exams are over five days Monday to Friday yeah three hour exams if you fail one You have to come back next year and repeat them all. You can't move on to the next one. You can't move on. So what happened? You you have to sit the whole five of them. And then after you sit the whole five of them, uh, even if you knew you failed exam number three, you still have to sit the other two. And a year later, you have to go back and sit them all again.
1: Oh, no way. So even if you say you passed one to four and you failed five, you can't just sit five. No, you have have to to go back. You have to go back next year. So we
2: had failed those kind of first five exams. And uh, so what city colleges were very good to me. They prepared me for the King's Inn entrance exams. Uh, Philip Bork said, look, we have this program in place. They help people, you know, get into the law society to become a solicitor. And we have one to help people get into the King's Inns to become a barrister. We get all the information you've learned over the past three years. And we compile it in such a way that you're able to answer questions, you know. You have all this knowledge, you don't know how to apply it. So Philip Bork put this thing together. And uh, myself and Fergal McSharry went in and we did the exams and we failed. I think I failed one. I failed one exam and I think it was a few points short on another one. And Fergal had failed a few. So the uh, the year later, then we went back to city colleges again. They prepared us again and we got in the second time round. So we spent two years in the King's Inns. And in 2000, excuse me, 2015, we were called to the Bar of Ireland, you know, Mad, absolutely so What does nuts. that mean, called to the bar? That means you're a, sl- a you're, barrister then? Yeah, you're kind of sworn in as a barrister. So yeah. the graduation is in the King's Inns, and then you go to the Chief Justice, you know. So you go to the Chief Justice, but you get down to the Supreme Court, and they swear you in. So upstairs, you know, you have your gown on for the first time, and you have your three-piece suit, like, you know, and you're going, great, you have a three-piece suit on. And um, I'm real small. like So they got all the communion suits. So, yeah. I communion, <laughs> so they'll fit me, like, you know. Mm. And the um, there used to be a guy down there called Peter, and he'd put the... The wig on your head, and make sure it's straight and all. And he'd face you would face around to the mirror, and she can see herself. You like, oh, and um, then you get down. You kind of you take her out before the court. You know, they, they sw- yeah. it's like being sworn in. Yeah, I can put it that way. So
1: you're called to the bar. Give a take, it could take you five years to from when you. It could take it five years,
2: yeah, so three years so, doing the law degree, and then two years. Yeah, so three years, then a year in between because we failed, and then two years. So it took six years altogether.
1: Yeah, to but get like in. if someone say died not out tomorrow, let's say Terence decided to go into law. Yeah, in five years' time, he could be a practice. You can barriser. get in four
2: years because you do your law degree in three, and then the King's in is you can do a one year. You can do a full time barrister law degree. I did a part time, all mm. right, because I had to work and we had two kids. I need yeah. to be able to pay for it. Yeah, and um, so we get in. So it took what well, three one? So six years it took yeah six years of That's hell madness man. that it's like yeah. it's never too late to actually go and yeah. like you and you're living proof
1: oh come here like to me if you would have said to someone like oh he's a barrister I'd say right he left school and he went straight yeah. into college and he, and he got stuck but in the, the books Like
2: everybody thinks that you know like people like when you people ask me a question like I don't know everything I can't yeah. I don't think there is a barrister who knows everything Unless they're, you know, well, look, well, here's the charge. If they're not sure, they'll go off and they'll read up and it or research the law. But you're you're dealing in different things every day, you know. And for me, like, f- for me to go back to school and to get, you know, my law degree, my barrister law degree, like, for me, that was just incredible because, you know, I've not went to cert, I've nothing, not mm. even cert. And I left school very, very early. I left school really, really early. And my uncle, Brandon used to be on my case all the time. Oh, I should go back to school, he said, and you know, do this and do that. And it got to say, to he was wrecking me head. And then my mum and dad, they were kind of on my case a little bit, but, you know, let him find his way and we see what happens. Um, I used to walk with my dad on the tours I used to get paid in CIE in fisborough And we used to walk through the King's Inns and they'd be holding his hand. And they'd be saying, oh, what are they doing here? That's where you're trying to become a judge. He used to say, oh, very good. And little did I know, you know, whatever, Some, 20 yeah, or 20 like years later, circle, yeah. I'd be in there. But if I can do it, anybody can do it. Mm. But what happens is that People need the support to get in and do something. Whether it's you with your podcast, whether it's Christy Raslan, whether it's Mickey Hart, whether it's Shane McGowan, everybody needs that support, you know?
0: I definitely think there's barriers in the way for a lot of people, especially from our areas. Mm. As you said earlier on, you were sort of like lucky enough to get the break. It's very, very lucky.
2: And there's definitely barriers. Like, as I said, when you go into the courts now, um, there's people who may be there who may be on pensions, let's say, they're in different jobs. So they're able to kind of sustain, let's say, those losses, right? Yeah. Or you may have somebody who, um, who may have a lot of money behind them or maybe... Their wife or their their parents or you know have a few bobs. so they're not really. And I'm not saying they're not really worried about money, but they kind of have that backdrop. But to get to that level, you still have to go to college first, yeah. you know. And I think for me, that there are definitely obstacles placed in front of me. And I think the obstacles really came from me, you know. Mm. So what we do in the courts is that, or what I do, they have a look into law program, and they will accept students in from any area. They don't care where you come from. And it's like a lottery. You know, and kids will apply and they'll spend a week in the courts. So they'll spend a week with me. There'll be about 10 or 12 kids. and We show them, um, you know, how the courts work. We get down to the four courts. We bring them to a green street court. But I just go a little bit further. I take transition year students in and they spend a week with me. Like and walk experience. They come in on, yep, they come in on day one and they get to see the cells. And it's from day one we create a scenario. Let's say somebody gets assaulted at McDonald's or they were drink driving or they had no insurance on the car, they didn't realise it. And we create a scenario and we let them see how it goes through the courts, you know? So I'm giving them the opportunity that I never had. I'm not yeah. too sure if that opportunity was there, you know, long before I went into the courts, but I give them an opportunity. But I have people who've gotten contact with me to say, because of that week, or Because of that talk, he gave me the encouragement to go and look for a loan or to go and try to get a grant. There's one girl I know, um, who's actually studying now, a Jordan, a law degree, and she wants to go into the King's Inns. That's class, and it's great because you're basically saying, I've helped one person to become something that they're always able to become, they never but they thought they would be, yeah, they just never realised,
1: yeah, you know, and that's the thing. So you were saying obstacles. I'd love more people in the area to get involved in law, but on the other side of the law, you know what I mean? Because yeah. they're always on the wrong side. And as I said, yeah. you always come well in verse in the law. When you're on the wrong side of it, you need to find out. Mm-hmm. I'd love to go up to court and hear a lot more solicitors and barristers that sound like us. You know, yeah. and be like, that's class, because it's not it's not a classist thing. It's a upper class person representing a working class person mm-hmm. all the time. I'd love to see that the diversity in there. And that programme sounds deadly, getting kids oh, It's in, great. And because, involved, of COVID, so
2: because of COVID, it had to be knocked on the head. Yeah. I have a student coming in, well, subject to the restrictions. We received an email uh, from the Bar Council um, today, which I haven't read yet. But the, um, and this thing I do, I do it myself. But the, uh, it's great to receive guidance to see what courts are open and what courts are closed and how things are moving. But when you have a student coming in who's rattling, Mm. I mean, rattling, they're coming to the court. It's great for them to see something different. And either they go to James's and they spend a week, let's say, working alongside a nurse, you know. It's great just to give anybody that opportunity, you know. But definitely, there's definitely barriers um, for people to go back to education, mm. No a shadow of a doubt.
1: Is it, When you go back as a mature student,
2: the point system goes out the window, doesn't it? Um, yeah, the point system for me, <sighs> it is. I paid for going course, back to DBS. Yeah. So when i went to DBS, I think the fees worked out 15,000 for that for the three years and the King's worked out 12,000, I think 12,500. And what I used to do was, I used to drive the taxi and Fiona said, look, wherever I get paid, wherever she gets paid, I look after the family. And she said, wherever you get paid, you just pay for college. But she yeah. ended up throwing money in against it as well. And then I was driving the taxi at the time and I remember going out one day and earning 50 euro. I said Fiona, I can't drive the taxi anymore for 50 euro. So she said, look, train as a healthcare assistant and come into St. James's Hospital. So I trained as a healthcare assistant, went into St. James's Hospital and worked there while I was in the King's Inns, mm. you know. So, the, um, so I was kind of lucky that way that we had Fiona's income because it was just me on my own trying to support, let's say, two kids. Because yeah. we, we didn't have children when I we went to college. Yeah. You know, the kids came like in my second year. Actually, my first year exams was criminal law. And uh, Fiona went into labor on that day. Exactly one year later, on the same day, my exam was company law, and Fiona went into labor that day, you know, (laughs) and absolute disaster. And in year three, they were saying, All right, is there anybody pregnant now? (laughs) But the, um, so I was very lucky that way. And I was extremely, extremely lucky to have that. But the, um, it's the people I worry about is somebody who doesn't have that behind them who doesn't have the financial backing behind them. And there are some grants there. I think there should be more grants. Because everybody deserves a chance to be what they are. Every Mm. single person, you know. And if something stops them, they're going to have to try to get over their hurdle. And it's my job and your job and everybody else's job to help them. I think if you're out of education for
1: more than two years and you're over the age of 23 or 24, or you qualify as a mature student, and that's when the point system goes out the window.
2: Yeah, the point system went out the window for me. I just we just paid, and I say yeah. paid away like brides people. But we just paid. Oh yeah, and, and did and did did uh, mm. you know did the two degrees? But the um, but anybody can change their direction yeah. if they're just if they're just pointed in the right direction because a very simple mistake that you make in life can bring about a lifetime of guilt. And maybe not a lifetime of guilt in the courts where you're guilty of a criminal offence, but, you know, things happen. Trauma happens in <clears throat> people's lives. Mm. And what happens is that that lifetime of guilt is kind of, I shouldn't have done that. Or, I should have done this, you know. And these simple mistakes hang on to you forever. So I'm just happy that people literally just got me at the right time and said, this is what we think you should do. Mm. You know, I've been extremely lucky to have the life I'm at the have. In. You know, I mean, like working with my idols, Aslan, Mm. you know, working with the four of us, you know. Jesus is great. Working with Mickey Hart, you know, working with George Murphy, you know, like uh, designing George's album cover, uh, doing some of the photographs. I mean, these are, and still holding down the day job. So I was very lucky and very privileged. Um, But for somebody to come along and say to you, look, I think maybe you should do something different now. It's, it's It's just great for someone just to catch you, and just pick you up and not change where you are, just face you, go yeah. into you in a different location.
1: And you're living proof of that. I love somebody who's listening to this who maybe is a bit lost and doesn't know. Like It's not too late, you know what I mean? You can apply yourself. And I know you said there's not many, but there is some resources out there like yeah. grants and access mm-hmm. programs and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. if people are thinking about to go back to education, especially yeah. becoming a barrister. So I remember at that time when I did have that run in court, I was in sixth year mm-hmm. in school. And I remember thinking, like, this is deadly. I'd love to get involved in this. Mm-hmm. But the points a lot at the time. I was like, there's not a chance I'm getting it. Like, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, 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 And I always said, look, I'd love to go down that route because I don't know, you may not have noticed this, but I love arguing with people. <laughs> and uh, I was like, do you know what? I'd, I'd like to get in there because mm-hmm. I'd like to, because I'm like myself, I I'd like, I'd like the process of things and mm-hmm. understanding the process. Mm-hmm. And then being able to apply that and be like, well, this is what happened mm-hmm. and this is what was broken. This is mm-hmm. what wasn't broken, mm-hmm. et cetera. Yeah. So, like, imagine somebody listening to this now and like, you know what? I I'm 25. I don't know what I'm gonna be doing
2: with my life. Yeah. Even it's, just one person, I put up a thing on LinkedIn. I was looking at it today. I think it was 11 months ago. Just a kind of brief, maybe eight or nine liner, of. How I I think when the when the pandemic came, people were panicking over the leaving cert, and I just put something up just to say, oh, look, this is what I did," and I got looking at it today, I think I got three hundred and one thousand views on LinkedIn, and I was getting messages off people who had exams on Monday, and they were sending me messages on Sunday saying, "I read your article, the Kingsons did a, a brief article, and I was doing exams tomorrow. I didn't want to go in to do them, but kind of your art, your thing is kind of at egging me on to go mm. in and do it, and like if that's just one person." Brilliant. You know, if you can just change the whole thing just for one person, it's, uh, it's incredible. But I think government, they just, need to, they just need to wake up, you know, and let's change this all elite society. Let's yeah. create opportunities for every single person. I am practicing at the bar. I'm in court in the morning. I mean, I may not be a, a practicing barrister come September, you know, because I won't be able to survive in fees of €25.20, you know, and something has to be done. I mean, if, if student nurses were paid 25 euro and 20 cent, you know, for representing somebody or looking after somebody, there'd be war, you know. Mm. So people have to, to wake up and say that if you're doing an important job, regardless what it is, that you have to be paid and you have to be paid properly. Mm. So the way it is with me and some of my colleagues, I mean, in March, um, in March, uh, there's going to be a situation now where barristers at my level, Uh, You know, may have to walk out of the courts, you know, may have to walk on the steps of the courts and send a message to government to say, you know, like 25 euro, 20 cent is, is not, it's an insult. So, but I say to people, go back to college if you can or go back to school, study anything you want. If you're studying law, go off and be a barrister, become a solicitor, keep away from crime. I mean, the criminal end of uh, practicing until the legal aid system is fixed and fixed properly, you know? And maybe go in-house working somewhere or keep at civil law. But don't let anything stop you from becoming something that you've always could have been, you know? And it's up for everybody, I think, to pass on that message. Mm -hmm. I think it's up to everybody. Yeah.
1: So, Darden, you're into the bar, yeah? Yeah. What's your first day in court
2: like? First day in court was on... I was dropped outside on a Monday... And my wife dropped me outside and she gave me a fiver for my lunch. So with a fiver, I had me gown in a bag. And I was going, oh Jesus, you know, like it's like lunch money. And I remember waiting for Luigi Ray to arrive because he was my master for the year. It's kind of like an apprenticeship you do. And yeah, to make sure that you don't bankrupt the state or anything or make a show of <laughs> yourself. And my mate rings me and he goes, Come on, he says, down to the uh, to the the early house. He says <laughs> <laughs> we get down to the he was working yeah. in James. I said, I've only a fiver, come on, leave that till tomorrow. says, I have to go in, I have to go in. So I went in on my first day, which was on Monday. And Luigi, we did my first day, you know, getting the feel of the place. And he said to me, um, Monday night, he says, your first day making an application in court will be tomorrow. It will be Tuesday. And I was going, oh, Jesus. So he told me what I had to do. And obviously, I went in the next day and I was kind of, you don't know how loud you have to speak or how loud. I just remember, like, making the application. Like I could see, like, the kind of the, the breeze passing everybody's hair. Is probably shouting, like, you know. But it was um, very nerve-wracking, you know. But, yeah, I did it, and it was a challenge. Mm. And the, um, but very nerve-wracking because you were trying to – you knew Luigi had you well briefed what you had to ask, mm. why you were asking it, any difficulties that could happen with the application or anything that the court may ask you. But he was um, – he had your back all the time. He'd be sitting in the front row, and you'd be kind of three or four rows back. So he'd be there in case anything went wrong. But nerve-wracking. Yeah. I was just sitting there like saying, what am I doing? The same when I was doing the Aslan things, you'd be going to walk on stage in the pint's doing production manager, and you'd be saying, "Jesus, what am I doing here?" Like you know, and it's the same. Mm-hmm. You no. Know? Uh,
1: allowed to go into any detail about what happened on that day, like your client. No, right? I no, can't.
2: No, no, it wasn't my client. It was his one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. NBAs, no, really yeah. isn't it? Uh, Non-disclosure agreement. It was, agreement. Yeah. It was his, his his client, you know. But yeah. the um no, it, it's um it's nerve wracking, but you you kind of learn as you're going along. You learn, um. You know, how to, you know how to look at a case, how to read it, how to advise the client. But you don't know everything. And the support amongst your colleagues up there is incredible. Mm. They actually turn you know, to a colleague who's sitting beside you and say, look, like, what's this all about? And they stop what they're doing, they tell you. Mm. you know, the support's incredible. It really, really is incredible. Um, but the downside of the bar is just people think that you have this kind of big pot of gold that people just fall into, you know, yeah. and it's far from the truth, particularly on the criminal end of things, you know? Yeah. Do you find any, do you find
1: like the law and the sentencing there's like discrimination up there?
2: No. Well, I can't really go into the sentencing because I'd be disagreeing with the judge then and I would be getting into trouble over that. But the, um, when you go see a case that the judge will know everything about the case when they're told, and they will make the appropriate decision in relation to sentencing,
1: mm.
2: you know? So you don't think there's any inconsistencies based off background classism? Well, when you're looking from the outside, it's very easy to see the inconsistencies. Mm. But if you're sitting, I suppose, on the bench with all the information, I'm sure that the court will make what they think is the right decision, you know? Mm. And if you disagree with the decision, you can always appeal it, Yeah. you know? But it would be unfair to kind of think... Um, that there's inconsistencies all the time when you don't know anything about the case. Yeah. Valor yeah. point. No, it is. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But
1: I just think there's, like, there's one or two high-profile ones, you know, when you look at this situation, what happened, the circumstances, and then you see the sentence. But then you see, like, the culprit, and they have two completely different upbringings.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: You know, and you're like, well, this was fairly obvious. We've heard
2: this one before, like, you know, like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. But I always say to people, if you're unhappy about anything... If you're unhappy about anything, that you make your unhappiness known. You know, if you're unhappy about the water charges people make your unhappiness known. Mm. If you're unhappy about the law, you make it known to your politician you know, and see what happens there. But um, when, you're, when you're sitting down and you're looking at a case and a, a judge, you know, he or she makes a decision, they make the decision based on what's in front of them, They're things that we wouldn't see because we're not involved in the case. So when you walk in and you see a sentence being handed down, yeah. You might know a little bit more when you look at all the information together. So a judge would have everything in front of them. You know, so it's easy for um people to sit back and say, Oh, this was right and this was wrong. Um, but it's important to be inquisitive with anything that happens out there. And if you're not happy with it, well then you speak to government, whether it be the health service, whether it be law, whether it be a judgment. But the um I don't know about inconsistencies. I'd so say it would be a little unfair. For me to talk about that, unless I know all about the case, you know. Mm. And even if I did know all about the case, who am I to make a judgment when I'm only there since 2015? Yeah. But like, you know
1: what they say, like, what's a justice is blind? hmm I don't think it sees a bit better with money.
2: Sees a bit better with money. So if I'm richer, saying that I might get a better outcome. Well, I don't know about that. Like, you know, I'm not rich. Look at the outcome I had. Absolutely mm. awful.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no I don't that's just a personal opinion of mine, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. I but don't uh, know, you might think different, you might think every, different. But
2: everybody's views are important, yeah. You know, everybody's views, are, like I always say, there's three versions of every story. Your like there's, side, there's, there's, there's your the side. Fruits. No, there's your side, there's my side, and everybody else's version, like you know. Mm-hmm. And the um, and it's important that people have a view on something, you know, regardless what it is, people have a view and that they express the view, but it has to be an informed view, you know. Because it's very easy for people, you look like on Facebook or you look on Twitter and people are commenting about, you know, like I'll be on Twitter and I'll give out about something run a, a shadow of a doubt. You Look at my Twitter feed, you'll see it. I put a post up today about legal aid fees on my LinkedIn account, you know. So I'm only, look, I'm only expressing a view based on where I am, yeah. you know. But I wouldn't dare express a view based on something that I just pulled out of the sky, you know, because I'd be leaving myself open for criticism. I just think it'd be a foolish thing to do. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, but it's important That you have them views yeah. It's important that you, Everybody has a view And everybody lets their view be known mm. You know mm. That's
1: Salon That's a fact <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, Do you know him, yeah, man? Who? That's, that's Salon
2: That's a fact What's his name? Do you know what Richard I Grogan or something that? Yeah Oh Richard Did you watch Richard Grogan? Yeah oh, He's great yeah. I think his podcasts are great you know, absolutely brilliant. Just yeah, the way it's he's a podcast. Not the podcast, it's sorry, videos. Way, yeah, he does yeah. like these videos. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just when he's talking about it, let me tell you, I do I watch them all the time. Mm. I learn a lot from them as but well. I think there's a
1: niche there, because he's on what's
2: he uh, employment, employment law. law. Yeah. There's yeah, a niche there for yeah, no. criminal law. But the, when you look at a solicitor like me, and, uh, like Richard Grogan, like how long is he around doing what he's doing, he probably a genius. Yeah. yeah. Absolute genius. And I'd be sitting there watching that going, Jesus, I didn't know that. Mm. You know, I see a newspaper clip and, you know, when they talk about something, I didn't know that and you keep it, you know? Yeah. And you say, no, I'll, I'll keep that handy in case I needed some time mm. to go off and look at something.
1: But I think he, he's really tapped into the social media aspect. He does question. Has but, the game wrapped up. Yeah. So you can just send him whatever you want to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I don't, what I did find out from his videos is that like if you are on annual leave from work, mm-hmm. you book your holidays and you're sick, you got a sick note, you get 10 days back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's fucking deadly. Mm-hmm. Well, you, man, that. you could tap into that for criminal law. People can actually send you questions. You can do a 30-second video
2: answering yeah. it. Well, see, what happens with the barrister part is, is that is the um, the the client is actually the solicitor's client. Mm. So the solicitor's kind of like a GP, you know? They're they're brilliant at lots of things, you know. And because they do criminal law, they may pass on the case to you because you kind of specialise in that area or maybe you're a little bit more familiar with that area. So what happens is that the solicitor is my client and then it would say the accused or the injured party is their client, you know. So when people come up to you and say, oh, well, let will tell you what happened last Tuesday. We're like, oh, hold a second, you know. We can't give that view unless we're instructed by a solicitor. They, they will say, Darren, will you do this case for me? And you go grand, yeah. And uh, then you can advise on then. But you can't be just there. Uh, like, kind of have a questions and answers podcast, you know, because we get into trouble over that because we're not briefed in the case. We don't have the the full story behind us where the solicitor would, you know? So we kind of specialize in certain areas. Yeah. You know, so when I say I specialize in criminal law, there's people who be more experienced than me. So if I get something landed on my desk and I'm not too sure, I'll be asking them. Yeah. But I can only... uh um, deal with something that a solicitor instructs me on. Nobody can walk in out the street and say, oh, look, you do this thing for me. They can ask for it. They can go into a solicitor say, look, I want him to do it. But you can only be instructed. Does that make sense? Yeah. I get it. But like to Richard Grogan can go on. He can have his uh, his, Q&A. his videos. Yeah, yeah, they're great. Brilliant. Very ah, informative. Brilliant. 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 Yeah. Yeah. yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Learned a lot of things off those. Yeah. You know? And I think he's making the best of social media. He's making it very... You went up and looked after Section 8. He's making the information for people readily available, you know? And uh, I'm sure he'll probably get a lot of work out of it as well, mm. you know? But he's... Um, it's something he's been doing a long time, employment law. Mm, you know yeah. and he's on every show Pat Kenny mm. you know he's on Yeah. you know has it wrapped up yeah no, he
1: does
2: yeah mm-hmm. so uh, I want to be the next Richard Grogan
1: <laughs> <laughs> right we're wrapping this up but before we go don't forget talk of Alex live Liberty Hall Friday March 4th tickets on sale Monday 7th of February go loud dot com forward slash events sign up for the pre-sale doesn't guarantee you a ticket but does increase your chances €20 Euro excluding booking fee. Get on to it. Take us out, Johnny.
0: Boom! Subscribe to this podcast for free on the Go Live app. You for? your back in it. Just a little more. You it your body
2: it.
0: It and long. When you that? The hip knocker. Go down. Go down. Go down. Go down.